0: Welcome to the Renovate Podcast. My name is Ben Fuquay. I'm one of the young adult pastors here at Christ Chapel. And this week at Renovate, we finished our relationship series from the pulpit. And we talked about what is such a all-inclusive and deep command that we're given as Christians in this walk, and that's how to love others. Enjoy. Again, if you walked in late, glad you're here. Um, <clears throat> love you. Uh, excited about tonight. We, uh, we have been in this series. Um, <clears throat> called The Elusive Relationship, just talking about relationships and what that looks like, uh, whether you are single, whether you're dating, whether you are engaged, whether you're married, wherever you are in that spectrum. Um, it's been fun. Tonight is actually the last sermon that, we're, that I'm gonna preach on it. And then uh, next week, I'm really excited. Uh, next week, uh, we're gonna have a, a panel up here, two people who I really Really respect a ton. Matt Lance, who is a guy who um, started the Forge ministry, discipleship guru uh, out at Pine Cove a long time ago. He's now the West Campus pastor here at Christ Chapel. Incredible guy. He wrote a a thing called The Dating Book, which is kind of like a dating book. If a dating book and a dating blog had a baby, it would be The Dating Book. That's what would happen. That's what it would look like. Uh, Just a really godly guy, ton of respect for him. And then also on the stage will be Amy Foster, who is a minister here to women on staff, incredible speaker of God's word, teacher of God's word, has lived a really incredible life of faithfulness to the Lord, has learned a ton and, uh, and I'm excited about just picking their brain and really where we're going next week just so you know and so that you can be a part of that starting now if you aren't already is uh, man you guys have been texting in questions so we've got this number uh, we've had it up here the last few weeks uh, it'll be up on, on the screens pretty much for the whole night so if you guys think of questions if there's tension in your heart if you have pushback if you have uh, things that you want us to highlight especially as we're kind of wrapping up uh, tonight if you say man I really want us to, I want to hear about this I want to talk about this I want to be more practical here or I disagree with this man shoot us a text message and we're going to try to do some work this week of, of kind of organizing some of that stuff. And then and that's really what's going to steer our time uh, next week. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, it should be a really cool thing to do. So tonight we're talking about love, just fun, or maybe that's a beating for people in this room. I'm not sure, we'll see. Um, I think by the end of the night, it should be really, really fun uh, and hopefully really, really worshipful. Uh, to recap kind of where we've been, we've talked about um, seeing the purpose of marriage and relationships correctly. We've talked about evaluating properly uh, throughout, throughout dating and pursuing and all that kind of stuff. And we've talked about how to proceed wisely in relationships. But here's the deal. 1 Corinthians 13, one through three says this. Paul says to the Corinthian church, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and and if I have faith as so to remove mountains, right? So every spiritual power that can be in existence to the nth degree, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I don't care how good you are at evaluating the opposite sex through a biblical lens, through the whole dating thing. I don't care how much practical wisdom you implement in relationships you are in if you do not have love or know how to love or are loving the way Christ calls us to love in relationships, then Paul would say all of that practical wisdom and tips and evaluation and things that you learn and dating books that you read without love is a waste of time. And what a waste, Paul would say. Uh, If you do not have love, we are a, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Tonight, that's what we're talking about. We're gonna talk about love. We're gonna scratch the surface, surface of this very deep calling that we all as Christians are called to. If you are a Christian in this room and if you're not a Christian in this room, I love that you're here. I love you here. You are welcome here. We want this to be a place, man, where you can come and keep asking questions. You know, maybe you've got some major questions or major doubts and you are wrestling through those or, or whatever it is, and I love that. We want, we want to hear those questions. We want to be pushed against and, uh, and walk with you. But if you're a believer and say, yeah, I'm a believer, I want to do this thing right, then, then that's what we want to figure out is how do we really love well? And so we're going to look at uh, love biblically, And then we're gonna respond in worship. That's what tonight is. We're gonna look biblically, man. What is the who, what, where, and why of love? And then we're gonna respond in worship. And then we're gonna leave here and apply, Lord willing, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're kind of signed up for tonight. for those of you who are guests, um, <clears throat> I need to just let you in on the family because, you know, the people who have been around for a while, they know this. Um, the first time I told Danielle I love her, right? That's like a big moment. My wife, Danielle, that's a big moment. And for those of you guys who don't know who aren't, right, a part of the family, it was, it was a tough night for me because there I was. We've been dating. I knew, man, this is the girl. I never said that before. I knew this is the girl I'm going to marry. <clears throat> She's the one. Uh, I was convinced on it and and really felt conviction there. And I was like, man. So I told her, I love you. Her response, thank you, (laughs) right? It was one of those nights. And I, I love it. And I wouldn't trade it, honestly, because my love for her wasn't contingent on her response, right? Like my love for her wasn't, shouldn't have been contingent on her response. I loved her regardless. Like it was, hey, I love you. I'm gonna, I wanna lay down my life for you for the rest of, so it's either like, this is gonna be a restraining order kind of thing, or we're moving in that direction. Uh, another story too, and this is really just for guests, because family, I tell this story like every week. Um <clears throat> First time, we, we, it's kind of in a similar conversation we were having, Danielle and I, and, and, um, and it was like, hey, what's the like one word? It was this, con- I don't know if you've ever been in these conversations. which I don't know why we would do this. I was like, what's the one word that like you would describe me with, right? <clears throat> and you guys who know me, right? Like you who are in the fam know this story. <clears throat> I was like, I got this. It's like Danielle Archibald brushed her hair out of her eyes, <clears throat> <clears throat> Beautiful, right? That was the word. But, like, I don't mean like beautiful, like, I don't mean like just, I I don't define beauty as just this outward thing. I would define beauty as very much an inward God given thing, a thing that God creates and designs inward that because of the power of the Holy Spirit and because of who God is seeps out through a person. And so when I called her beautiful, when I said, and the word that I would use to define you, Danielle Archibald, is you are a beautiful person. Not gorgeous, yes, gorgeous. Not not those, not those physical things, but you have a beauty that is designed and breathed into you by the God of the universe, that kind of beauty that then seeps out of you, um, that yes, is incredibly attractive and all of those things, but you are beautiful. It's like, what's, what's my word? You guys know this one. She said, neat. (laughs) Folks, she said, neat. That was the word to define me. I gave her a whole spiel about the inward beauty that God had put in her. And then when I said, hey, what's the word that when you see me, you think? And she was like, I think you're neat. (laughs) Man, this, this stool is neat, right? This stool is neat. And it's, I mean, it's a neat stool, right? This music stand goes up and down. It is a neat music stand, Um, right? Like it's to say that, to be vulnerable, to love someone else is a vulnerable thing. It's a vulnerable thing. Uh, it is a, a touchy thing. It is, it is inherently vulnerable. Um, and so that's what we're gonna talk about is defining what it looks like as we step into what we are called to do in a vulnerable thing. And so in the who, what, where, and why, I wanna quickly, and the very top of this uh, sermon, explain who are we talking about? When I say love, Right, when I say, okay, we're talking about love, what kind of love are we talking about in the sense of who are we applying it to? And for this sermon, what I'm referring to is everyone. So this, is, tonight, we're gonna take a, a big view. So if you're kind of tired of like, oh man, I don't know if I can take another romantic sermon about romance and love that I'm searching for, that I'm praying for, that I'm, whatever that, whatever that looks like for you. Um, man, we are called to love everyone. So tonight will not just be about relationships or romantic because I believe that the core defining idea of love is not just towards romantic relationships. It's the same thing across the board, and we are called to love everyone to different degrees and to different depths, but it's not a different love. It is a deeper, um, it is a more committed Uh, It is, uh, there there are facets of a romantic love for a spouse that's different uh, than the way that we we might love our neighbor. Um, But what we're gonna talk about as we define love, I wanna make sure you guys understand, is man, how do we as Christians love people? Where, what is that supposed to look like? How do we do that? And why is that so essential for us as followers of Christ? Regardless of relationship status, regardless of all that stuff, if you wanna apply it to a relationship you're in, great. If you wanna apply it to a coworker, great. If you wanna apply it to multiple people at the same time in your life, yeah, okay. I see you, good job, I'm proud of you. Yes, that would work. Um, it is, uh, we are called to love our enemies, we are called to love our friends. We are called to love, yes, spouses and notebook style love where you're in a you know, hospital bed dying with your 90-year-old wife who's forgotten everything and you've had to tell her the story of your love story with Ryan Gosling over and over again for years. <laughs> All of those are a sliding spectrum of what I would say definitely, definitionally we are called to. Um, and so this is about how you love people period. Um, and, and so when we say, I, when we say love, it should, it should mean different depths of the same thing. And there are different depths of that, right? Like, I'm pretty sure I started this sermon. I think most times I get on stage, I say something to the extent of, I love you guys. The way, just for clar- clarification's sake, when I say I love you guys, and then also when I tell my five-year-old son I love him, it is, the, it is the same root idea when we're talking about what is love look like, but there are different expectations and depths of that. So I, if, you, if I say I love you in the sermon and you're expecting me to come over to your house and rub your back tonight to go to sleep, it's weird, and we're gonna need to talk afterwards in a public place with some accountability, have a little DTR, because you have some you have some unrealistic expectations of our relationship and you're misreading some things. Um, but that idea is, man, there is one underlining concept of love. So what is it? What is, what is that underlining foundational picture of love um, if it is for everyone, what should it look like? And honestly, we could preach entire series. In fact, two years ago, we did an entire four-week series uh, called The Shape of Love all on this concept of, man, what do we do with this word and the misconceptions and, and how we apply it and all of those things. But in five minutes, I'm gonna lay out the what here as as simple and as as 30,000 foot as possible. And it's gonna be 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 says, by this we know love. First John is such a great book in, in this context. In, in, the gospel, in, in John, right, this disciple of Jesus, unpacking really what it looked like to walk and then what it looks like to love Jesus. And then when that happens, how that affects loving everyone else. And he says in verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The what of the love that I believe scripture preaches and professes foundational to the idea of love, the simplest definition I would say is this. First John three, this is how we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Love is sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. I would argue that if you try to define love, without the foundation of your definition being rooted in the idea of sacrifice, uh, you have misdefined it. You know, there's lots of other adjectives we can give, love is patient, love is kind, but all of those things are different, different aspects of I would say a foundational level sacrifice has to be at a root of our definition. If we say "Now we're followers of Christ, we submit to him, we submit to how he designed this thing to work, love is sacrifice. Jesus, in the garden, before uh, he was crucified, before he was arrested uh, and, and crucified, in anxiousness, sweating blood, went before God the Father and said, if there is any way, if there is any way this cup can pass from me, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, please. He was begging the Father if there's any way I do not have to go to the cross, then please, would you allow it? We know love because 2000 years ago, we have a savior. We have a God who put on human flesh, who lived this perfect holy life and was, and was God in man, was incarnate with, with man and lived this life. And because of the sins of the world and our sins, was arrested, lived a just, perfect life, was tortured, was stripped naked, was mocked, and hung on a cross and laid down his life willingly. Not because he wanted to, not because he was looking for hero status, but because he loved by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. If we don't understand the sacrifice of Jesus, then we have limited ourselves of our ability to understand and experience and express love. That is how we know love. When I say I love my wife, that should be a picture of I would sacrifice for my wife. That's, that's what that idea should mean. If I say I love Mitchell Travis, which I do, I, I love Mitchell Travis. You guys know Mitchell, leading worship up here, right? Yes, calm down, ladies. Um, that's probably his wife, let's be honest. Um, when I say that, I, I mean, I would love him, right? And what that means, does, do I like Mitchell? Absolutely, everybody likes Mitchell. Do I spend a lot of time with Mitchell? Unfortunately, in this season of my life, I don't. I don't spend a ton of, but I also love him, right? And like is different, spending time with him is different, but I love him, and, and what that means is I would take a bullet. I would take a bullet for Mitchell, um, I would have to consult my wife a little bit on that because I feel like she would have some feedback in that and we'd be like, well, we would talk and I would consult his wife and we would kind of come together a consensus and be like, it's like a bullet in the shin or like a bullet in the head. And that would be a depth of like, we'd have to figure that out together, right? I love him and I would take a bullet for him, but we like, if it was gonna graze his shoulder and I blocked it with my chest, like, well, like he probably wouldn't even want me to do that. Let's be honest. Uh <clears throat> We would talk, we would talk about it. I would take a, I feel like I gave Mitchell a really good compliment and then I just crapped on it. Um, you get the idea, right? Sacrifice, sacrifice is fundamental. When, when we say love, what do we mean? We mean Sacrifice. And so when you are applying this idea and this pursuit and this this concept that you're called to do, whether it is in relationships with coworkers, whether it is in relationships with family members, whether it is in romantic relationships, is the foundation of your definition of how you are talking about loving, falling in love, being in love, is the foundational definition rooted in this idea of sacrifice, or is it rooted in, in selfishness? Is it accidentally and incorrectly rooted in selfishness or self-glorification or immediate gratification or, or whatever it is? Um, the depth changes. <clears throat> let, me, um, let me play this out of how it would look in a, in a romantic relationship. Um, in a romantic relationship, if, uh, I wanna be real sensitive on this. If, uh, if a man is leading, or allowing sexual sin into a relationship, he is not simultaneously loving that sister of Christ well. Um, Let me speak from personal experience because I I know this is, uh, it's a sensitive thing and it's something that so many of us struggle with, guys and girls. Um, Man, and I alluded to this a little bit in this series too, in my pursuit and dating of Danielle, man, there were seasons where I was really pursuing her in this really godly way of getting to be this illustration of Christ and loving her in this very uh, selfless, sacrificial way. And then there was other seasons in our relationship uh, where because of my spiritual immaturity and my immaturity just across the board and my pride and my lack of depth and understanding of who Jesus was and my depth of understanding, love, and being able to, to do that well, uh, there was selfishness built into that relationship and ways I led her. And there was sexual sin that I sowed into our relationship and I allowed to happen into our relationship. And man, that was really dark seasons for us in our relationship. And man, this woman who, and by the grace of God, we've seen healing and we've seen freedom and restoration for all of those things because that's who our God is, um, and, and so many of us know that and we we claim His grace and we run into sin willingly because we know we've got this grace bailout card. And yet, what that is is so unloving and such a misunderstanding of what love is. And man, I, in my immature leadership as a as a 21 year old when I was uh, dating Danielle in seasons. Uh, there, was, um, there was sin that really affected her walk with the Lord, like really affected her intimacy with the Lord. God didn't change. His love didn't change. His presence and salvation was still there. But man, um, there was fellowship broken. This, the scripture talks about, man, we can't walk in, in the light and we're walking in the dark. Uh, we don't get to do both of those things simultaneously. And, and I, I use this analogy uh, a lot of times, and I, I think I thought of it even back in, in my own uh, growth and that conviction in my own relationship with Danielle. Um, it would be like if I said, I love you to my wife now, Danielle, and I brought her a cup of coffee every morning for a quiet time, and I put like two drops of arsenic in it. You know, and I said, hey, I love you, sweetheart. And I brought her a cup of coffee with just the right amount of creamer that she likes, and then just, just enough poison to just make her sick, not kill her, but just to constantly just kind of make her sick and, and maybe do some real damage in, internally in her. And, it, and that would be such a counter, you, you would see that play out if you ever saw that or knew somebody and you would think, how, how backwards is that? I, I, that doesn't connect. You don't actually, oh, I, I love you, here is a cup of, po- I love you, but I'm poisoning you. Um, and, and so, so much of how we have to interpret love as believers is man, Is our love selfish or is it sacrifice? Is our love pursuing something? As you evaluate through romantic relationships, man, is that love that we are chasing or getting, is that have all these strings attached? Are we saying we love someone, but actually when we look at our actions, are we really loving them? Are we pushing them towards Jesus, which we know pushing them towards the spirit of God is going to produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, all of these amazing things, all these fruits of the spirit. Or are we pulling them away from walking in the spirit with with disobedience in our life? That's something that I have struggled with. And even as as a married man, in other ways, selfishness creeping into my marriage in ways that isn't loving and identifying that and realizing this isn't, love, this is, I'm using this word and then I'm doing something counter to that. I'm not sacrificing, I'm not being selfless. I'm being selfish. How about just non-romantic relationships? If our definition of the what is love is sacrifice, I pray you would evaluate, what's the relationships in your life look like? What are your relationships with your coworkers or your neighbors or your friends or your families or whatever that looks like? What is what do those relationships look like? Do you, do you only love people who are benefiting you? you know, when you look at the relationships that you're close to, when you look to the people who you say, Man, I love this person, I love this guy, I love this girl, I love this community, I love, you know, when you think about the people at work that you would really almost attach that word to it, are those just people who, yeah, because they make you feel good, because they are helpful and beneficial to you And then we take that word and we see, well, wait, but how we know love is that he laid down his life for us. So where's the sacrifice in that? Where's the sacrifice in just loving people who benefit us and make us feel better? Our understanding of this concept of love is everything. Do we have a proper perspective and understanding of the what love is? For those who are looking and pursuing and desiring that, if love is sacrifice and you say, man, I so badly, and I've I've walked with guys and I'm walking with guys in this room who are just studs and they love Jesus and their their prayer in, I think, a very faithful, patient way is I want to, I want to, yes, I, I can love other people, but I want to love in that depth. I wanna be able to lay down my life and sacrifice for, for a wife, Ben. And, and we pray with me to that end and, and continue to pursue that. And something we talk about is that yes, that is, it is okay. It is okay to not be content in your singleness, but to still find your satisfaction in Jesus if that's where you're at. Um, but I think too, if we realize that it's sacrifice and we say, okay, well, there's, there's lots of work to be done. There's still lots of work to be done for us to say, well, how can I continue to sacrifice and serve and love others? Um, we're not handicapped, uh, with an inability to show love until we get that elusive relationship. Um, love is sacrifice. What is, what does that look like in your life? Are you loving in a way that's sacrificing? By this, we know he laid down his life. That's my hope and prayer is that, man, that becomes a conviction of the Holy Spirit for all of us to say, man, my love needs to be deeper and more mature and it's selfish in ways and they're not afraid of that. And we run towards it, we admit it, and we say, man, look at, look at my flesh, this stinks, man. The mistakes that I'm making, the, the selfishness here, and we can confess that to others who would be able to speak grace into that and say, yeah, let's walk that out. That's the what. Okay, so what's the how? Because to understand that yes, love is sacrifice is one thing. And to be able to hear that and say, okay, I'm supposed to sacrifice, love is supposed to be selfless, great. How? How do we do that? Or how does that play itself out in our life? Because that is really hard and understanding is not enough. Understanding, yep, love is sacrifice, is not enough. That's that's not enough for us to be able to apply how this actually plays out. Look at 1 John 4, the next chapter over. 1 John 4, seven through 11 um, says this. Beloved, Because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, because of the love that we've been shown, we might now have life. Then verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the, the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How do we love? Okay, love is sacrifice. How does that happen? We understand grow, are changed, meditate on, sit on, dwell on, mature the depth of understanding how God loved us first and how perfectly he loves us. A few verses down is maybe one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us that's the how behind how, how do I love sacrificially? How do I love the person I don't want to? How do I love the person who I don't like? How do I love the way I'm called to consistently day after day after day after day in relationships that will be hard, in relationships that I step into with commitment and, and, and covenant one day? How do I do that? I do that by understanding that the God of the universe loved me first. And here's how that plays out. Uh, Romans 5.8 talks about that uh, he showed his love while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so what we have in the gospel, what we have in this concept of his love first is we have the kindness of God, the kindness of God showing us love first in our sin, in our brokenness, in, in our mistakes, in our failures, the holy, perfect God worthy of glory and all perfection showed us this perfect love and that is kindness. She showed love to a 21 year old who who didn't know how to love anyone other than himself in relationships to to brothers and sisters of mine in this room who have made mistakes, that somewhere the enemy in them lies in them, say, man, I could never really fully be, I could never fully be forgiven for this. Or, well, maybe God would forgive me, but but a person, I don't know if a person, we have experienced God from, love from a perfect God, who is perfect and holy. That is the kindness of God. And then that should lead us to heart change that should lead us to this idea of repentance and obedience because we realize how do I love that total jerk who doesn't do anything for me? How do I love that person who hurt me? I realize the gospel, I was that jerk. I was that person who doesn't do anything and doesn't bring anything to the table before a perfect and, and full God and yet he pursued to the point of his son's death on a cross me. And I have to lean into that. And I have to pray for more understanding, more depth, and I have to meditate on that daily. There's a story in Matthew 18, and I, I talk about it uh, a good amount, and I, I preach it at just about every wedding I do because it's such a picture of this. Uh, it's this, this guy who owes the king a huge debt It's massive debt and there's no way he's gonna be equivalent of millions of dollars. And he goes before the king and he begs and he begs and he begs for grace and mercy. He doesn't deserve it, but he gets it. And the king sees him and he says, your debt is forgiven. And that same guy who got a million dollar debt forgiven walks out of the king's castle into the streets and finds a servant in his court who owes him the equivalent of 50 bucks. to to the scope of the debt that was just forgiven, owes him an equivalent of about $50 and takes that servant and puts his his hands around his neck and strangles him and says, you will pay me every last dime or I will throw you in jail. And the servant begs for grace and mercy and grace and mercy and he says, no way, I'm throwing you in jail. And and it's this story that when we hear that and when when we're reminded of that, hopefully daily, I think about that story daily, daily because I know that that is me. Because when I think about how do I love someone else, I realize because I am loved and I am that great, great debt, Uh, the debt that I have, my understanding that my sin is great, my understanding that I don't deserve, the understanding of not just my mistakes, but my inherent selfishness that I say, I wanna be God. I say to the God of the universe with my actions often, forget you, God. I want to be king. I want to be the ruler of my own universe and I wanna be in control, not you, the designer of all and the one who gives me life. Get out of the throne, that's where I belong. And it is this wicked heart that we have. And yet we have a God who says, yes, and yet I will forgive you to the point of my son's death. And that should move us. And we should think about that debt that's been forgiven. We We should think about the new heart that we've been given. And we should meditate on that and we should dwell on that and we should remind ourselves of the gospel and the parables and the stories of that daily. And we should remind ourselves that we love because he first loved us. And so when we ask the question, but how do we love people that are hard to love? How do we love when it's inconvenient? How do we love in a way that's sacrificial? We remember and it can only come from understanding how we've been loved. It can only come from understanding the depth of how we've been loved. And that's where our love comes from. That's how the sacrificial love should play out in our life. Um, if we know Jesus, and for those who are in this room that have yeah, known Jesus their whole life and have preached the gospel, and are we moved? Is this another night where we are moved and stirred or is this a night where we have become uh, callous to the love of Jesus Christ? And then we wonder why there's selfishness and we wonder why our love is stale. If we know Jesus, how do we not love radically? If I really knew Jesus deeper and deeper, how would I not wanna give my life away for other people? How would I not wanna lay down my life for other people because of what has been done for me and in me and through me and the new heart and the new life and the, the new righteousness that I have been given. And if you are in Christ, what the gospel purchases that you have been given. If we know Jesus, how do we not love? So why? Why do we love? Last point, and then we're gonna just respond and worship for the, for the rest of the night. Um, why? John 13, 13 uh, 34 and 35 says this. John says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, listen to this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We're called to love the who, we're called to love everyone. The what, we're called to love in a sacrificial way. The how, because we know how we have been loved, but why, why are we called to love? Why are we commanded and told? And why is that a part of of the ordinances that God has sent us out as, as if we're Christians to do. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Because he says so, yes, but also for God's glory. We're called to love other people for God's glory because this thing isn't about us. This whole thing that we're doing in life and and on a daily basis, because it's not about us. Because relationships, whether it's coworkers or best friends or romantic relationships, ultimately are not about us and our satisfaction and what we want. They're ultimately about the glory of God because that is what we are about. That is the chief design of mankind to bring God glory and then to enjoy him in doing that because it's what we're designed for. So why do we love? Because it brings God glory. And if we love him, that should be an exciting, amazing reason to say, I want to never grow weary of talking and hearing and leaning into the love of Jesus Christ displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I never wanna grow tired of that. I always want, I, I want to be continually moved by that so that I might Be moved to love others the way I'm called to because that's glorifying to God because others will see the way we love each other and they will say, yes, they have a God. They are disciples of the one true God. Brings glory to our God in heaven as we are called to love people. Um, This same same chapter here in in verse 13, if you just drop your eyes to this next verse. So in verse 35, in chapter 13, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And in the very next verse, uh, it goes into the story where Simon Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where you're going, I cannot follow. And Peter says, you kidding me? I, would, I will follow you anywhere. And, and this is where Jesus says, you're gonna end up denying me three times. Before the rooster crows, before my final trial and execution, you're gonna end up denying even knowing me, let alone you'll follow me into battle wherever God calls me. Um, and and some, of us, some of us know this story. Peter denies Jesus three times. We talked about it, Josh preached about this just recently, right? Denied Jesus three times. Didn't, oh man, I don't even know the guy went from, man, I love you, Jesus, I would do anything. Uh, you know, I, I can, and I can relate to that. I don't know about you guys, I can relate to that. I can relate to being this follower of Christ who can sit here in a worship service and sing my heart out and sit in the back and worship this God and say, yes, I love you. I love you. I love you. And then walk out and three days later, find myself in the most selfish act or, or be a total idiot and, and cruel to somebody or, or be completely prideful in my own desire for my own glory or whatever it is, insert any given sin that I'm capable of. And I find myself connected to this idea of, you know, how we're supposed to love and why we're supposed to love to bring God glory. And then I I just keep my eyes going down the same chapter and I say, oh man, this is where Peter gets called out and he denies Jesus. I love you, I love you, I love you. And then he pretends to not even know Jesus. And man, I don't know about you guys, I relate to that. I've heard and preached a lot of sermons about the depth of loving Jesus and then the depth that we will be able to love others out of that. And I hear those and I think, yes, man, yeah, that's me. I want that. And then I look at the areas of my life and my sin and my immaturity where I'll deny him. I'll choose myself over him. I'll choose my gratification or my glory over his. And I see it here in the text. And then I flip to the end of John. And in verse 21, after Jesus has been crucified and risen again, we see Jesus and Peter get back together. Peter, the one who said, yeah, I love you, I love you, I love you, and then, and then this double-sidedness of, nah, I'm not even gonna deny it. They get back together, and they're on a, they're on a shore in Galilee. They just had breakfast together, the disciples and Jesus. In, a verse, in chapter 21, verse 15, it says this, when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Then in verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. At The very end of the Gospel of John, we see this guy, Peter, who, whose love is fickle and his love is immature at times. We see him be restored by Jesus Christ. This disciple who three times had said, I don't even know Jesus. I don't claim Jesus, I don't know Jesus. Jesus looks at him and says, do you love me? Yeah, I do. Do you love me? Yes, do you love me? And he gives him these commands connected to that of, then go and love others, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep, lead my people, disciple others. No matter what, here's what I I want you to hear, renovate. No matter what your love has looked like, no matter how fickle or how immature, no matter what the Spirit of God brings conviction to, to say, look at the shallowness here of your love, or look at the, the lack of sacrifice here of your love, or look at the selfishness or the mistakes in your love here. No matter what that is, we follow a God who restores us to love more. We follow a God who, I would say tonight, looks at you and says, you have a response to this gospel you have a response to this truth. No matter how many times you've responded, you've response to, as we respond in worship, say, I love you, I love you, I love you. And as the spirit of God convicts us to say, there's shallowness here and there's lack of depth and there's selfishness here, that we look at the God of the universe and we say, yes, there is, but I love you, I love you. And he restores people who follow him so that we might continue to love him more. And the grace of God is beautiful. Because his love wasn't contingent on how mature our response is. It's contingent on how good he is. And our God is good, folks. Our God is good. Let me pray over you and then we will respond to that. Father, thank you. Thank you for how you love. Uh, thank you that you are a God who loves and has loved us first. <clears throat> and God, we take so much confidence in that. We really do. Um, the, the truth that you love us while we were yet sinners, that you have displayed your love. You didn't wait for us to get cleaned up. Your love is not based on our performance, but you have loved us in those seasons of drought and you love us still. God, thank you for that. Would our understanding and depth of that, would that never, would that, would that never grow callous to us? Would would the love of Jesus and the gospel never become this just white noise that we hear in sermons and aren't able to take in your spirit to make much of in our lives? And so Father, would you apply this tonight? Uh, Would you allow this even as we go back into music, Father? Would this be a genuine response? Protect us from standing and singing songs. Oh God, please protect us from going through the motions tonight. Would the spirit of God convict us in some of those areas? Show us selfishness. Show us where we need to change and repent. And then you be the strength of that because we see how you have still loved us and we see the kindness you've shown us. And and with that, stir our affections for you, Father. God, you are all we need. And so, Father, tonight, do what only you can do in the name of Jesus through the, the power of your spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Renovate podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. We really do. Um, And the love of Jesus Christ is something that I hope and pray for my own life and for my boys' lives and for your lives that we never grow tired of. Um, Like like I said, that it never becomes white noise and we never become callous to it and that we would continue to have our hearts um, more and more sensitive to what Jesus has done and how he has loved us. And would that be the place that from there, we're able to love each other well and, and love each other, whether that is through romantic relationships or non-romantic relationships or, or coworkers or family members, that we would love the way Christ loved us, and that is with a sacrificial love and how glorifying to God that would be if we were people who love the world around us in that way. Uh, that's our hope. That's our prayer. We'd love to connect with you, so reach out to us, renovatefw.org, if there's anything we can do for you. God bless you. Have a great week.